the Lord took me to uh, Luke chapter 15. It's the prodigal son. I want to read verse 17, because this is my prayer for us today. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Verse 17 says this, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, and that's my prayer for us today that we would come to ourselves, that we would get to that place, not that we would look at ourselves, but we would come to ourselves and we would recognize, even like Heather said, that there's this thing, maybe it's a belief, a false belief, maybe it's something that we did that stands between us and God that makes us think that God can't hear us and God can't do for us what he's doing for someone else. I pray that we would come to ourselves and we'd realize it's not based on us, but it's based on the Father that we can come to. When he came to himself, he rehearsed. How many of you have done that? You know, you've done some things you wish you hadn't done. Then you just start rehearsing in your mind how, one, how it should have been, how you should have done something differently. And then even once you know you should have done it differently, how it's going to look to get back where you were with God because we always know there's something we've got to do. Maybe that's just me. You're quiet in here today. He came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. Uh, I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So he had rehearsed this whole deal of how he was going to get it right. You know, that's, this is a beautiful picture of how loving our father is. Because he had it all worked out. And he goes and he does, you know, and I... If you look at the story, i got to say this. It wasn't because this great spirit of repentance came on him that he did this. You know why he did it? He was hungry. He was hungry, and he realized that even the servants in his father's house had it better off than what he did. And he said, I'm hungry, so I'm going to go. And he thought about all the stuff he needed to do to make it right so he could be just a servant in his father's house. But it was hunger. It wasn't repentance. It wasn't that he was sorrowful for what he did to his father. It was just he was hungry. It was a natural thing that drove him back to his father. And that's all good. But what I love is he arose, verse 20, and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him in the midst of his stench. Because he had been living in the pig pen. Y'all know that, right? He'd been living in the slop and in the mud with the pigs. And his father fell on him and kissed him. This word fell here is the same word where it says the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. It doesn't mean like the Holy Spirit tripped and fell out of heaven and landed on the disciples. It literally means embraced. This word fell here means to embrace. So the father embraced the son. You ever had one of those big hugs where you just bury your head in their neck? You know what I'm talking about? You just, you just, it's not one of those little casual side hugs. It's one of those where you just hug and you embrace and you just bury your head right here. That's a sweet spot right there. You just bury your head right there and you hug and you embrace. That's what the father did to the son. But, but so here's what I want us to see. And the son said to the father, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in, in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. So what did he do? He went into his rehearsed deal, right? He started doing what he said he was going to do. He thought this whole process out. But what's so amazing is the love of the father totally interrupted his rehearsed uh, repentance. Because look at the next verse. The father, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, 
So the, get a picture of this, okay? I love how beautiful the Bible is if we, if we get in it, not just read through it. So here's the son. He stinks. He's dirty. He comes home, and he's rehearsed this speech of how he's going to tell dad, I'm sorry. So the son's coming. The father runs. There's so much there in that story that the son should have been stoned to death, and there was so much the father did just as a, uh, an action of love by running, by girding himself up and running to the father, saying, no, you're not going to kill my son. He stood in the place of his son. And the father runs to the son. He falls, he embraces him, he hugs him, he kisses him. And his son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the father turns away from the son, doesn't even say, it's okay, I, I hear you. He turns to, he said, hey, go get the stuff. He's here. Go get the stuff. It's time for a party. The father, do you see that? He just looks away from the son, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, he doesn't address address the son at this place. The son stinks. The son's nasty. He took his inheritance and he wasted it. He pretty much said to his dad, I wish you were dead. But the father embraces the son. And when he embraced the son, he looks to his servants. It's almost like his son is the teacher in Charlie Brown. He's not hearing his son, not because what his son's saying is not important, but because his heart is so full because his son is home. He turns to his servants and he says, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. What he did in those those three things is he established his son's place in the home, his place of authority, and his provision. In that one thing, the son's going through a rehearsed speech, and the father just goes past that and says, I'm restoring him right now. You know when he did it? Before he brought him in to everybody else. Oh, shut up. He restored him before he brought him in. So when he came in, when the people saw him, when he came into the house, when the people saw him, he had the robe on, he had the ring on, and he had the shoes on his feet. So when he came in, he was restored. He didn't, get, he didn't go through a process with the father. He was restored. The father said, no, I've forgiven you, and my restoration starts here. It starts right now, not when I get you in and get you cleaned up. I'm going to cover you, and I'm going to bring you in restored. And that's the same word he has for us today, that I want to cover you. I want to bring you. My son's blood is more than enough. My son's blood is more than enough. Quit believing the lie that says it's not enough, that what you did was too much. This son said, Dad, I wish you were dead. And when he came to himself because he was hungry, and that's my prayer, that we would come to ourselves and get hungry. Because I tell you, hunger will drive you to something. Hunger will drive you to something. You won't just sit uh, half-heartedly on the sidelines when you're hungry. You'll go and you'll do whatever it takes. But we live in such a society. And you know, I'm so thankful for our fast. We might do it every quarter. He was like, oh, Jesus, let us get through this one. No, you shouldn't have to fast every quarter, but it wouldn't be a bad thing. We'll talk about that later. It's that my prayer, and as I was, you know, I, I told you to pray for me because the Lord told me I was going to journal through this, and I have. But he, he uh, had me on Monday write that first email. And then on Tuesday, he set me up. Because he said, write this one and just call it day two. And so I write it and I call it day two and I send it. And I said, well, Lord, that's a setup. Because if there's a day two, there needs to be a day three. It wasn't just a follow-up. It was a day two and then there was a three. And he said, no, I want you, you're supposed to write. I'm going to get you to write. And I've just been intentional in them being small just so it can focus us. But my heart is this, that through this fast, whatever it is, you're fasting that it's been that that's driven you to him. Not that it drove you to do something else to be busy. 
the father, the son was so hungry, he said, look, even the servants in my father's house have more than enough food to eat. I'll just go ask my father to be one of his servants. See, it was that hunger that drove him to go to the father's house. And when he got there, he got more than he had bargained for. And see, that's the Lord. There's lies that we've believed that says, no, you can't be in that place. I hope everyone in here has a hero in the faith. I hope everyone in here looks at someone and they go, man, that person right there, they inspire me. But never put them in a place that you can't attain in Christ. Does that make sense? We should have heroes in the faith, but our heroes, their ceiling should be our floor because we can walk in the anointing that they've walked in because they paid a way, they paid the price to make a way for us to walk there, not for us just to do what they did. But what we, so many times, we talked about this this morning in, in prayer, so many times what we try to do is we try to make a formula out of it instead of a pursuit. We try to say, here's what they did, so if that worked for them, then it should work for me, so I'll do what they did, and we make a formula. I've said this before. I believe that uh, many of the founders of our faith and the denominations that were started after them, what, pe- what happened was there were men who had a passion and a hunger for God. And they went after God, and they met God. And people looked and said, well, here's how they did it, so I've got to do it like them. So let's form a denomination that says we always do it this way. Because if it worked for them, it's got to work for us. And they lost the pursuit of a person and, and sought after a sign or a wonder or after a thing. And they lost the intimacy. We were singing... Your presence is heaven to me. I pray that we would awaken and realize how true that really is. That we would realize that being with him is more important than anything else. See, this fast, if you'll notice, in the fast, when I talked about it last week, there wasn't anything I said for you to do for your church. It was all for you. You know why? Because my passion is this, that as we awaken to who we are, who he is and who we are in him, then we'll come alive on the inside and all the other stuff will just be fruit of who we are in him. Because we're so passionate to know him that we're at that place that we're hungry and nothing else will satisfy us. So I'm, my prayer for you and for me during this time, and if you haven't started, start. Jump on. And uh, it's not about doing without. I said this, I think it was day five, I can't remember. The, the fast is not about what you do without, it's about who you get to be with. Please, keep that as the focus of your attention. When, if there's something you're not doing, it's, it's to be with him. If it's the coffee you don't drink in the morning, instead of that fix that you had to have, say, Jesus, I think you're my fix. I think that you're going to get me through this, and you make him your meditation instead of that. I pray it's more than just a beverage or a food item that you gave up, that it was time that you said, God, I'm going to set this time apart, and I'm going to be with you. And don't be afraid of the awkward. Because many times that's when he'll speak. It's when we're in that place and we go, man, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. Anybody find yourself there with your free time? You just, you get along with the Lord and you say, I used to do this and it used to occupy this much amount of my time, but now I'm fasting and you sit there and it's just like. Don't be afraid of that. Go to him and say, all right, Lord, I'm here. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm here. Do you know he's not afraid of that? He's not afraid of you coming and saying, God, this, I don't understand. I know that I'm being intentional, and I want to know you, and I'm going to start, and I'm going to read. Just start over in Leviticus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just want to see if you're still awake. Start over in Leviticus. That'll get you right. But I want, I want to encourage you, don't allow something to stand between you in him. He, he said that he would, Hebrews 13 says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's a covenant promise from God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So I encourage you in this time that uh, you set your gaze on him and you just say, God, I'm hungry. Everybody in here knows what it is to be hungry, right? If not, I'll help you. I'll preach to about two today. <laughs> and then I'll help you understand what hunger is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to preach to two today. But I could. No amens. Thank you. So what I want to do is I want to pick up sort of, kind of, maybe not really, a little, where Tish was last week, and she had talked about Abraham. She gave us the big picture. I want to uh, eventually, in the near, near future, I want to talk about uh, supernatural ministry. It's one of our core values. Uh, I'm not going to go back through those right now, but <clears throat> it's one of our core values. And But the thing that the Lord just continues to minister to my heart in the title of my message today, which is awesome, I have one, is identity leads to ministry. Identity leads to ministry because we have to uh, have an understanding of identity before we'll ever minister. We, that doesn't mean that we won't serve, and that's what ministry really is, is serving. Uh, and that doesn't just have to be at church. We have min- How many of you know you have a ministry in the home? You have a ministry at work. Uh, you have a ministry in the marketplace, and that's to be able to serve the Lord wherever you are and allow His life and His Spirit to flow through us. And uh, <clears throat> so, as I was meditating on all this on supernatural ministry, and the Lord just really said, if, if we don't know who we are, then all you'll do is fake it until you make it. You'll try to fake it until you make it. <laughs> and that's where we have people who, and I'm not against uh, Boy, I told you, I hope every one of you have a hero in the faith. So I'm not against a hero in the faith, but many times we just emulate what we've saw, seen them do and try to get the same results instead of going after the God they've grabbed hold of. So supernatural ministry must be birthed out of identity. And as I was looking at that, and I went back to uh, some of the things, I was just meditating on what Tish had shared about identity and what she had shared about uh, about Abraham more than identity. And, but before we do that, as I was looking at that, the Lord took me back even further. I've shared some of this several years ago, I think, but uh, the Lord took me back to verse 11, chapter 11 in Genesis. You know, if you want to start, a good place to start is the book of beginnings. So Genesis, that's what it is, the book of beginnings. And in Genesis chapter 11, what's happened, what happened was the flood Right? The flood happened, and after the flood, that's not 11. That's prior to this, but coming up to uh, 11, the flood happens. They come off the boat. Uh, Noah fixes a garden and a vineyard and all that, and he gets some good grapes, and he gets a little tipsy, and one of his sons comes in and sees him drunk, and he doesn't cover him up. He goes out and tells his brothers. He says, Shem and j check this out. Dad's toasted and naked. And Sham and Japheth go in and back in and cover him. They don't, see his, they don't expose his nakedness. And because of that, the Lord says, Ham, you're going to be a servant all the days of your life. You're going to serve your brother. You know what's amazing with that? Ham still had great nations rise out of him. And we're not going to get into all that. But here's the three brothers. So from them, you know, whether you know it or not, yes, we all came from Adam and Eve. Yep. But to break it down even more, we all came from Noah and, and his boys. That's the fact, Jack. Everybody else is dead. So look at your, at your neighbor to your right. Look at your neighbor to your left. Say, what's up, cuz? <laughs> what's up, cuz? We kin somewhere. Somewhere way up the tree, we is kin to one another. So... <laughs> You know, if we just knew the Word of God, we'd end racism. Amen. I'll say amen to that. If we just knew the Word of God, we'd end racism because we'd realize we all have one blood, one from one, uh, one family. Genesis 11, verse 1. I'm just going to read 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake, some, and bake them thoroughly. They had uh, brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. 
And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and that is what they began to do. And this is what they began to do. Now, nothing they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, it is named, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the people, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. So at this Tower of Babel, God confused their language. Why did He confuse their language? Because they were a powerful people, but they were void of His presence. They were a powerful people, but they were void. See, they understood identity. They understood that there was power. Look, they said this, there's power in what? Unity. They said, let's build a place where we stay together, lest we get spread abroad, lest we get separated and thinned out and we won't be as strong. They understood the power of unity. Look at the first verse. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech. That word speech literally means one lip, but what it what it means literally is they had one answer. So what is that? Unity. They were in one accord. They were all saying the same thing. They were in agreement. And what did God say about them? They're just foolish. They can't build a, 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 a building to the heavens. Is that what he said? No. He said just the opposite. He said, we've got to go down and confuse their language because they understand unity and they understand uh, speech because they're declaring what they can do and they're doing it. And if we don't confound their speech, they'll do this thing. Now, what that would look like, I have no idea. But he said they had the power within them to do it, right? That's what the word says here, that they had the power to do that. So they were a people who understood the power they had in unity. You know what's so sad? The church doesn't understand that. The church doesn't understand the power there is in unity, and so they're so fragmented and, and uh, disconcerted with one another just because this one's a little different over here or over there. These people looked different. Not, they, they were kin. They were brothers and cousins and all that, but they all didn't look exactly alike. They're all their mannerisms. Wasn't saying, How many of you know? They had personalities just like we do, but they had a purpose, and that was to build a temple that reached the heavens. And they all said the same thing. I look at that, and I'm just amazed. This is what happened to people before they had the Spirit of God in them, but they understood just from who they were that the power that was on the inside of them. Because God didn't create us to be powerless. He created us to be powerful. And they understood that, and they said, we can do this thing, and they did it. I, I'm still amazed at that. I'm, I'm amazed at... How they just said, look, they journeyed to the east and they found a, plain, a place in the plain of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had uh, brick for stone and they had more asphalt for mortar and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad from over all the face of the earth. So I was meditating on that. Because I wanted to get to Abraham, but you had to understand how, the, the, uh, how everybody got spread out, where Abraham was leaving his people, how all the people got spread out. But as I was looking at that, the Lord began to, to just speak some stuff into my heart that was rich. Because he said, you know, these people had an understanding of power. They had an understanding of unity, but they didn't have the presence of God. As Tish said last week, they were without hope. Because no matter what they did, they couldn't reach God. God had to reach them because they had been separated from God because of what Adam and Eve did. Right? So here they are. And God says, I'm going to scatter their language. How did God uh, take the power away from them? Were they still able to do all the things physically that they had been before when they, couldn't speak the, when they could speak the same language? 
Yes, all God had to do was change what they said. All God had to do was get them all saying something in a different way. They may have still been saying the same thing, but they didn't know what each other was saying. And the, the power that they had was just decimated, decimated, just done away with. And they all got discouraged and they left. So I was thinking about that. And I'm like, God, they didn't have your presence. They still had the power of God. Uh, they still had power on the inside. Of them. They still had identity, but they didn't know they had identity because they couldn't, they couldn't walk in unity like they had before. And the Lord took me to Acts chapter 2. Because here at Pentecost, he said, you know, um, any, I mean, here at Babel, he said anything they put their mind to, they can do. Because they had what? One language and one speech. So one language and one speech means something different. One language meant they could communicate the same language. One speech meant they said the same thing. And, and then we come to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So on the Tower of Babel, God said, they don't have my presence in them, but anything they set their mind to, because they're in unity, they can bring it to pass. So he said, until I can put my spirit in them and my presence upon them, I've got to scatter them. Then in Acts chapter 2, God said, now I'm giving them my spirit, so I'm going to give them one language. I'm going to give them one language. What's that one language? Tongues. Now, your tongue may not sound like my tongue, but he said, I'm going to give them one language. I'm going to give them tongues so they can pray. And when they pray in the Spirit, what does Jude say? You building yourselves up, beloved brethren, praying in the Holy Ghost. It says you keep yourself in what? In the love of God. What does Galatians say? How does, how does uh, faith work? Faith works by love. Jesus said this, by this shall all men know you're my disciples if you have Love one for another. So what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. They had power that was unharnessed in the, in, at the Tower of Babel. They were doing something that God said, we've got to change this. And so they went for years without power, without hope. And then God said on the day of Pentecost, now I've given them my spirit. Now I'm going to give them one language so that they can come together in unity again and they can do the unbelievable. <laughs> and it's going to come through my spirit. It's going to come through my people coming together. What were they here in, in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost had fully come? They were what? In one accord, in one place. So they were in unity. Just like we saw in the Tower of Bible in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, they were all in one accord there, and they were saying, hey, let us go do this. Here they came together in one accord, and they said, God, we want you. We're hungry for you. We're hungry for your breath, for your presence. So... Here, after Acts chapter 2, what we have, we have man who has one language, but this time he has, he has the presence of God and the power of God on the inside. Does this make sense to anybody other than me? I don't want to go on a, I don't want to go on a trip by myself today. I want to take everybody with me. Because I want to lead up to Abraham. See, these people were powerful. On the inside of them, they had an understanding that we can accomplish stuff if we walk in unity and we put our minds to it. That's who Abraham was. He wasn't this pitiful person. He was someone who knew on the inside of him that there's destiny and there's identity. And that's what I want us to know. Inside of every one of us, there's destiny, destiny and identity. God didn't make junk. He made all of us powerful people. And the problem is we don't know that we're powerful, so we act pitiful. We don't understand the power that God's placed on the inside of us, so we act like God needs to come rescue us when he said he's already given us all things that pertain to life and God. 2 Peter 1, 2, 2 through 4, he said he's already given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God's already placed in us what we need to do what he's called us to do. But when our attention is on us and not on him, we'll be pitiful instead of powerful. When we choose to be separated, to not allow others to speak into us. Because if you look at Abraham, he told Abraham this. He said, Abraham, through you, all the individuals of the earth will be blessed. That's not what he said. 
He said, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I think he was painting a picture. What he wanted Abraham to see is that it's coming through intimate connection, through unity, where people who say, I'm willing to pay the price for my brother or for my sister until they can pay the price for themselves. I'm willing to walk with them as family, not as individuals. Me doing my deal, God, just get me there and everything will be all right. Because that's what's happened in the day that we live in. We got tongues, we got power, we see people healed, raised from the dead and all that, but we're a one-man show. We're not willing. Well, maybe we just don't know. To link arms with those around us and say, no, I want to do what he's told me to do, and that through, through me, through us, all the families of the earth, I'm willing to be part of the family. And that's not just the church, not just the local church. That's the body at large. I mean, right now, Josh and Emily are in London. Hello? How awesome is that? They're in London, and Josh spoke this morning at the church there, the bridge. I haven't heard from him. I know it went well, but he spoke at the church there in, in London to the body. Amen. It's bigger than just a local fellowship, but there's connection there. He said, Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 1 John 5, 14. When we talk about the power that's in us, it's being powerful instead of pitiful. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we ask of him, that we've asked of him. One translation says desired. So the, the Tower of Babel, they said, hey, let us go do this thing, and they started doing it, right? Here he said in 1 John 5, this is the confidence that we can have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we have asked of him. That sounds pretty powerful, doesn't it? That's pretty powerful. Thank you, Jeff. And here's the other thing the Lord showed me in this, and then I'm going to jump into Abraham. Here's the other thing the Lord showed me about this. They wanted to be, build one place, a tower, where they could stay together lest they be scattered because he knew that if they were scattered that they would be weak. He said, let's stay together. God said, I'm going to give you my spirit, and then once I give you my spirit, I'm going to send you out. Not scattered, but sent. And you'll go in power. Uh, we can read Mark 16. We can read Matthew uh, chapter 28, the Great Commission, when he said, go, and uh, he said, all power, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth, go therefore. What was he telling them to do? He was telling them to go out, not just congregate together. See, we've got it flipped, <laughs> and uh, with some of the things with the Tower of Bible, we got flipped. We all want to come together in one place and just do our thing here, and then when we, we go out, we don't want to do anything. We don't want to say anything. We just want to come to our safe place. But when we go out, we don't want to say anything. God said, no, I've turned this thing inside out. Now I've put my spirit in you, so you don't have to worry about going out because wherever you go, I'm there with you. I'll, Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. See, I believe Paul understood uh, the power of identity for the New Testament believer, for the New Covenant believer. And that was why he, uh, he told him in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might what? That you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What he's saying is that you might manifest what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Who? Those who are called by the name of the Lord. When they understand who they are, how they do that by the renewing of their mind, that they go out and they make manifest who God is in them and who he is to them and through them. So we get to Abraham. That was all uh, kind of an introduction because the Tower of Babel to me is so powerful that they were there and they were able to do whatever they put their mind to and they were dispersed. And then God said, no, in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to give you one spirit. You can all have the same voice. You can all have the same language. You can say the same things. And I'm going to empower you to go out, that you don't have to feel like you have to be stuck, stay together. But you do it through the uh, avenue of family, through connectedness. So we get to Abraham. And this is uh, so amazing. Tish touched on a lot of this uh, last week. So we're going to do a real 
quick overview of about five chapters in Genesis. In Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abraham, this is the, to Abram, A-B-R-A-M. This is the, the first time the Lord appears to Abraham. The Lord said to him, get out of your country from the family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land. And uh, this verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he appeared, who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed, going still on toward the south. All right, so God gives Abraham this promise. Get out of your country, from your family, uh, and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And all in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God meets, uh, speaks to Abraham, then he, uh, Abraham leaves. Uh, so Abraham and his family were in Ur of Chaldees, which is like, it was like over here. <laughs> and they, they came up to Haran. To, Haran was actually uh, Abram's brother. It was uh, Terah, 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 his dad's other son, one of his other sons. And uh, he died, and Lot was his son. And uh, so he said, get out of Ur. So Abraham's dad left Ur with Abraham and with Lot, and they came to Haran. And it was in Haran, which is just about halfway between where he started to where he was going. And it was there that his dad died, and it was there that the Lord spoke to him and said, all right, now I want you to get out of here, and I want you to go to the land that I will show you. He said, I want you to go where I'm going to show you. And so the Lord sent him, and Abraham's faithful to go. He didn't, you know, we hear this all the time. He did, he was a little wrong. He said, you get out, get out from your family. He took Lot with him. And um, so he and his wife and Lot, they leave and they go down. And God makes this, uh, appears to him again and says, through you, all your descendants are going to be blessed. And this is what's amazing. So he goes, and I'm going to skip through some stuff uh, for time's sake. Abraham's walking, and God speaks to Abraham, and he said, look at the dust. He said, you see all the dust? He said, your descendants will be like the dust that you see. So Abraham is going to a place that God's told him he's going to give him. He doesn't know exactly where it is. Are you with me? So Abraham's going, and he's looking. He's looking down, and everywhere he looks, you know, theirs is a little different than ours. They didn't walk on pavement. They walked in dirt. And it said that he went to, he came to Canaan land, which was the promised land that God had said he was going to give him. He didn't identify just yet, but he said, well, he did at Bethel. He said, I'm going to give you all this. But there was a famine there, so he kept going. So famine doesn't just mean they were hungry. It means it was dry. It was dry. So the ground was very dry. So everywhere Abraham walked, what would kick up? It was dust. Dust would kick up, and Abraham uh, walked, and they went down to Egypt. And when they went into Egypt, Abraham looked at Sarah, and he said, you're hot. And he doesn't know the God that's been talking to me. He'll probably kill me to get you. Just tell him you're my sister. Now, that wasn't a whole lie. It was a half-truth. He really was. They were kin. Because, remember, they all came from uh, Noah's family. They all came. So he, there was kin. They were kin. They weren't sisters. And, he, and I'm going to get into all that. It wasn't his sister, but he said, his whole thing wasn't say, hey, I want to tell the truth about our, our lineage and where we're from. Just tell them you're my sister, and we're tight like that. No, it was, he might kill me to get you because you're beautiful, 
and he's a king, and he can do that. So he said, just lie. So we know the story. <clears throat> the king takes her into his harem, and I believe it was before he consummated the relationship because it said that sickness came in and stuff like that, and uh, a plague came in. And, the, and here's what's so amazing. God revealed himself to Pharaoh, who's a wicked king, and said, this thing you've done is wicked. Stop. And he's like, hey, I'm just going off of what he said. <laughs> he didn't want to lie. I'm just... But so God reveals to, and I don't know if he went to Sarah and said, is this true? I'm not sure. We don't, we don't know exactly how all God revealed to Pharaoh, but said, this man, this woman is his wife. You need to leave her alone. So he told Abraham, and they had blessed Abraham. Listen, listen. When Abraham came in, he said, here, you can have her. She's my sister. Pharaoh gave him gold, and he gave him animals and all this other stuff for her. And then the Lord tells Pharaoh, she's his wife. And he said, you got to let her go. So he lets her go. He said, Abraham, you get out, and you can take all the stuff I gave you and go. That's natural, right? <laughs> Not at all. That's supernatural. God said, I'm going to bless you right? Not because you're perfect, but because you're willing to go and do what I told you to do. That's awesome right there. You're not going to get it perfect. Hopefully, you won't tell somebody that that's your sister when it's your wife, because she'll kill you. <laughs> that's a miracle in itself that Sarah didn't kill him. But he sends him out, and, and a Mos oh, Moses, not yet, Abraham, he liked Abraham is looking, Abram is looking at his feet. He's looking at the dust, and he said, God, here's what you're going to do. So they go out, and Abraham tells Lot. He sits Lot down. He said, look, we've got too much. We're too blessed. We can't stay together. We've got to go two different ways. You choose where you want to go. And Lot said, all right, this place down here is well watered. It looks nice. I'll go down here. So Abraham dwelt among the mount, the hills, and Lot went down to this watered valley that was just beautiful. And the kings gather up, and they go, hey, those people down there and, and around that Sodom and Gomorrah area, they're pretty well-to-do. They're pretty blessed. There's like five kings that cons uh, conspired together to go down and fight the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. They went down, and they conquered them, uh, and... They fled, and Lot and his family got taken as part of the bounty. And Abraham heard of it. And Abraham with, now think about, these are kings, right? Kingdoms came against Sodom and Gomorrah. They defeated the kings there. The kings ran off scared. Abraham said, heard about it, and he got 300, and, I don't know if it's 300 exactly, or 300 plus of his servants that he had trained how to fight. And went down and pursued the kings that had taken Lot captive. Overtook the kings, got Lot back, and all the booty. Got Lot and the booty. Who is this? Abraham. Who is Abraham? A man who God said, I'm going to bless you. I think that Abraham believed God. It's a fact. It says in here, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I'm just trying to work with you for a minute. Abraham believed God, but not just at that point. I believe once God spoke to him and he started walking, he didn't do everything right, but he still believed what God said about him. That's where we're missing it. We don't believe what God has said about us. We'll be, believe a lie because we act according to the lie, and we'll forget who God said we were. And we start acting out of what we see or our behavior that we've done instead of who God says we are. And we forget God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, even if you mess up. But Abraham believed that. God, would he, why would he chase kings with 300 servants? And this is kings in their armies because he knew he had a covenant with God. And God tells us, that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities of its powers, the rules of darkness, spiritual wickedness, and heavenly place. But he also tells us that we can cast them down. How do we do that? Because we know God said, I'll not leave you nor forsake you. John 14, I think 14, 18, he said, I won't, I won't leave you as orphans. You're sons. So I put my robe on you, my robe of righteousness. 
I put my ring of authority on your hand. Come on, somebody. I put my shoes of provision on your feet, and I want you to understand who you are. Because as you begin to operate from who you are, just like Abraham with his servants went down and took them back. So he comes. Let me see where I'm at. He rescues Lot. Then Abraham meets Melchizedek, the, the priest of the Most High God. He gives him an offering. He, gives him, uh, he pays tithes to him. So for all those who've told you that tithe is under the law, this was before the law. Wow. He gave a tithe of everything he took. And then the king of Sodom said, look, you can keep all the loot and all that. Just give us our kids back. And he said, I won't have any. He said, all I want is what we've eaten what my servants that fought with me have, and I want Lot and his family back. He said, because there is no way I'm going to say that the king of Sodom made Abraham rich because it's God who makes me rich. I don't want your stuff. I just want my people. So he took the people and he gave a tithe to uh, Melchizedek. And then... uh, Melchizedek, verse 19 of chapter 14, and Melchizedek blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And it says, And Abraham gave him a tithe of all. And then that's where Sodom said, Hey, you can have it. And he said, Nope, you're not going to be said that the king of Sodom made me rich. Now, look at verse, chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. You know what's so beautiful about that? He didn't say, I'll give you a shield and I'll give you a reward. What did he say? I am. I'm your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. So just think with me for a minute. If you feel unprotected and alone... Is it because you've left your shield? You've walked away from your shield, who's the Lord, and you've tried to do this thing on your own? Just saying. He said, I am your shield. And if you feel empty and lost and unrewarded, have you left your reward? See, when he comes, his reward is with him, but he's the reward. It's not what he has, it's who he is. When we taught on worship, we talked about worship is not what we do. It's who we worship. And it's him because he's worthy. So Abraham says this, Lord, what are you going to do seeing I have no child? I go childless. Because, see, God told Abraham, what did he tell him? He said, I'm going to bless you. When you look at the dust, you're going to be blessed. Uh, like the dust that you see, that's how your descendants are going to be. So Abraham said, you told me all the families in the earth are going to be blessed through me, but I'm childless. Sarah can't have kids. I'm childless. And he said, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, verse 4, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. So what's happened? God, first when he talked to him the first time, he said Abraham was journeying, right? Now Abraham is in the land of promise. He's where God told him he was going to be. While his journey, God had him looking at the dirt because he was looking where he was going. And everywhere the dust and the dirt kicked up, Everywhere it kicked up, he thought about his descendants. That was the promise growing on the inside of him. God was giving him a picture of the promise. It kept growing on the inside of him. Now he's here at a different place, and he's uh, fought this battle. God's delivered his enemies into his hand, and God said this. He said, now come outside. I want you to look up. He said, I'm going to give you these descendants, but they're going to come out of your body. Now look up to the stars. How many of you have ever been way out in the country, and I don't mean like just uh, southern Alamance. <laughs> I mean way out in the country where there's no uh, light. I'll never forget the first time it ever happened to me. I was in, um, in uh, Haiti. I went on a mission trip to Haiti. And in Haiti, and this was before Brianna was born, so it was over 20-some years ago, <laughs> 24, 25 years ago, uh, at the time, their power was terrible. They, they had between six and eight hours of power every day. They just didn't know when it was going to happen. <laughs> so the, the place, the inn that we were staying in, they had a room 
bigger than that sound booth area right there, full of golf cart batteries. Because when the power came on, they charged all the batteries. Because the power could come on at 8 o'clock in the morning and go off at eight, uh, seven, 6 or 7 o'clock at night when they needed light, and then they would be in the dark. Well, we were there, and uh, I w- went up on the roof, and the power grid went down uh, for where we were in Lakai. And I was up on the roof, and I'm not exaggerating when I say I could do this and couldn't see my hand. And I laid down on the uh, top of the roof a couple of reasons, because I wanted to be spiritual, and two, because I wanted to be natural. I didn't want to fall off the roof, because I couldn't hardly see my hand in front of my face. And I knew they would get the batteries going, and I could get off the roof. But I laid there, and I looked. And you know what? There were stars from here to here. I mean, it wasn't just like when we walk outside now, and there's so much, as my daughter said, when she was in college, light pollution. There's light pollution everywhere. She was studying that in school, and we'd ride down. That's light pollution. Is that light pollution? That's light pollution. Okay, there wasn't any light pollution. I mean, I, when I laid on the roof and, and I looked up like this, there was stars from here to here. That's, you know, Abraham didn't have a nightlight. He, he couldn't go out by the floodlight and read his Bible. He's trying to help you. When Abraham, when God said, walk out and look up, he said, look at the stars. If you can number them, that's the way your descendants are going to be. You see what God was doing? He said, Abraham, you came on this journey. You were looking down. You were trying to find out where you're going. But now I've told you who you are. Look up. Look up. And if you can number the stars, and I'm telling you, when Abraham looked up, it was from, from earth to earth, there was nothing but stars. It's amazing. The planetarium has nothing on it to see it for real. So then he brought him outside, look up, verse 5, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be, verse 6. And he, being Abraham, believed the Lord in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham believed God, and it says he believed him uh, for righteousness. It, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So here's what happens, right? I'm trying to wrap it up. So Abraham, God told Abram, A-B-R-A-M, no ha in it yet. He told Abraham, Abram, he said, you get out from your family, and I'm going to make you a great nation. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. So he goes out, he's looking, he sees dust everywhere on his feet, everywhere is dust, 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 and he's pondering these things. God said, this is what his descendants are going to be like. <clears throat> he lies. She's my sister. God comes to him again and says, no, Abraham. You're looking in the natural. You're just looking at dirt. You came out of dirt. You're just consumed with the dirt. I want you to look up. This is what I made. This is who I am. I want you to get your focus right. I want you to see who I am. Look at all this. This is what your descendants are going to be like. So he said, you're going to have, you're going to bless the whole earth, and it's going to come out of uh, your loins. So Abraham said, all right, let's make it happen, baby. Let's get to it. And here's where the Lord said to me. As you know your identity, there will be people who prophesy good things over you. And that's good. That's not bad. But he said, if you try to make it happen, you'll thwart the destiny I've placed on the inside of you just because you have identity. Just because you know this is who. See, this is where we've got to know whose we are before we know who we are. We understand the beauty and the awesomeness of our God, and we go, man, that's who I'm in. So he said that all things are possible to them that believe. I begin to understand who I am, but to renew my mind to that. And he said, but in that, let me make the way. He told Abraham, you're going to be, you're going to be blessed. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. It's going to come out of your loins. And Abraham said, all right. Sarah said, I can't have babies. Take Hagar. Abraham said, Okay. He taught me into it. So he goes he has, with Hagar, and he has Ishmael, and God's quiet for 13 years. God's quiet for 13 years. He doesn't hear anything. So Abraham's doing his deal. This child's being raised. Sarah gets jealous, and it's not pretty. Let me go. Let me see if I don't want to get ahead. 
And he said in verse 8, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where, uh, where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall uh, not be counted for multitude. Behold, your child and your son, <clears throat> you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall uh, be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence. Uh, he shall he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now, this is in a short note. This is the Muslim nation. This is the Muslim nation that he said his hand's going to be about against everybody, and everybody against his. This is the ISIS ordeal that we're dealing with, all the uh, Islamic terrorism that you're seeing. This is where it started right here. It's where it was birthed. When Abraham said, hey, God gave me a promise. I'm going to make it happen. That was a side note. Chapter 17, then when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. This is the fifth time the Lord's appeared to Abraham. This is significant. It's the fifth time he's appeared to Abraham. It's been 13 years since Abraham's heard from the Lord because he went out and tried to do his own deal. And he said this, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell, Abram fell on his face and, talk, and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your, your name shall be called Abraham, shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. So there's a change that takes place right here, and it's not just putting an H in the middle of his name. What God said to him, he said, Abram, you're no longer going to be called Abram, which is high father. He said, I'm going to call you Abraham, which is father of many nations. What he added was the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet is the He. He put the He, which also is... Uh, synonymous with the breath of God and the presence of God. So what God said is, Abraham, I told you I was going to do something, and you went and tried to do it yourself. Now I'm going to put my spirit upon you, and I'm going to bring this thing to pass. Even though you're beyond the age of it should be happening for you like this because you're 99, and you've been holding on to this promise for years, but now I'm going to breathe on you. I'm going to put my hey, my presence upon you. And no longer will you just be called high father. You'll be called the father of many nations. It changed everything. It changed everything. It's the fifth letter. The hey is the fifth letter, fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's literally this. This is what's so awesome. When the Hebrews would write the name of God, they would go in our uh, alphabet. It would be Y-H-W-H which is literally in, in theirs, yud hey vav hey. But it's it said like this, yud hey vav hey. That's how they pronounce it. Because hey is literally the breath of God. And every time they would say the name Jehovah, yud hey vav hey, they would breathe out and breathe in. Yud hey vav it was his breath. He had breathed on Abraham. And then the Lord took me to John 20, 22, when John, Jesus is there with his disciples, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, if you've been taught that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, that's a lie. The Holy Spirit was given to believers in John chapter 20, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What happened in Acts chapter 2 was the baptism. It was the immersion in the presence and the power of the Spirit. They're two separate uh, happenings. So he put breath back into him, just like he spoke breath to Abraham here. The word spirit, pneuma, means breath. So when we say Holy Spirit, we're literally saying holy breath. It's the holy breath of God. It's the, hey, five is the number of grace. So it was grace. God said, Abraham, you messed this thing up. I'm going to put my grace on you, and you're going to see it happen. So if you messed it up, God can still put his grace on you, and it can happen. Amen. I'm going to bring it in for a landing. Here's the other thing. God said, I'm going to give you a son, not this one. I'm going to give you a son, and uh, I'm going to keep my covenant with you like I said I was going to do. I'm going to give you a son, and this son's going to be blessed. 
Uh, he'll be the son of promise. This is uh, in chapter 18. And the Lord said to Abraham, this is where Tish brought out that Abraham laughed when God said, I'm going to give you a son. Then Sarah laughed. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't upset God. I mean, it didn't thwart what God was going to do. He said, I'm going to give you a son. This son will be the son of promise. But here's what you're going to do. When God made covenant with Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep. And God walked between the animals that Abraham... Abraham had to guard the animals so that they didn't... Uh, the, the vultures didn't eat them. But it was at night. When night came, God put Abraham to sleep. And God made covenant with himself because he knew Abraham would mess it up. That's the same thing as what the cross was. You understand at the cross, God made covenant with himself so that even when we mess up, we don't get out of covenant. He made covenant with Jesus, his son, who was a, a man. He came, lived a sinless life, and the covenant was between God and Jesus, and we get uh, adopted into Jesus. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's the way God planned it. So God says, Abraham, I'm going to uh, bless you. But then he said this. But as a sign of the covenant, now there's something you got to do. He said, I want you to circumcise yourself, all your boys, your kids, everybody who's in covenant with me. And the Lord spoke this to my heart. Cover the ears of your little one. Where Abraham tried to make, come, make uh, his destiny happen himself, God said, I've got I've to cut something off of that place you tried to make it happen. There has to be bloodshed there. There's no covenant without the shedding of blood. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, here's what I'm going to do. But when Abraham tried to do it himself with Hagar... God said, no, I'm going to do it, but as a sign, what you're going to do is you're going to be circumcised. So he said, the tool that you use to bring your will about, there's got to be a cutting away so that I can bring my will about. Now, he didn't end himself to where he couldn't produce anymore, but there was bloodshed at the place of where he, his will tried to bring about God's will. And there was, uh, there was something given here. At the end of the year, uh, Julie, there was a dead deer out here by the road. And Julie said, what the Lord just told me is that something had to die. And you know what? Heather said this morning that there's that thing that's in front of you. Maybe it's a mistake that you've made or something you've done. And you still see it as being uh, a hindrance. What God is saying, here's what he's saying. That thing needs to be cut away. That thing needs to be cut away where it's not there anymore, reminding you of where you messed up because I've already paid for it. It's already taken place. He wants us to understand so that we can be powerful instead of pitiful. In the midst of Abram's mistakes, God said, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. I'm going to put grace on you. I'm going to breathe on you and bring life to you. And that's the same promise he's done to us. And it was from that place that Abraham said, all right. And you know what changed then? When God gave him Isaac, and, I, and the Lord said, all right, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son of promise, and I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him. He said, Abraham, it wasn't just a, oh, okay, I better obey God. He had a history and God had shown him, even when he tried to act in his own will and messed it all up, that God said, nope, I'm still going to be true to my word. So Abraham, when he was going, and he looked at his servants, and he said, the lad and I will be back. Stay here, the lad and I will be back. He knew when he went up on that hill to make that, that sacrifice, if he had to kill his son, God would raise him from the dead. You know Why? Because he spent years looking at the dirt, and he knew there was a covenant there. Then God came and said, look, you've been looking at the dirt too long. I want you to lift up your head. You messed up, but we're going to clean it up. Now I want you to look to the heavens and everywhere you see these stars. So when Abraham went out the night before he was to take Isaac, because it said they journeyed to get there, he looked up, he saw the stars. He said, that's your promise. That's your covenant with me. So he looked at his servants, and he said, you stay here. The lad and I will be back. He said, going up, I know who the God is that I've believed, that he's told me that I'm a father of promise. Do you believe that you're a child of promise? Do you believe that? Not have I told you that or did someone else teach you that, but do you believe that you're a child of promise? 
And if you believe you're a child of promise, then that means even our mistakes can't thwart what God wants to do. Now, there may be some things that need to die, and we'll be the better for it. But God is saying, I have promise in you. You just got to see it. And my heart's desire as we embrace this new year is that we awaken to the identity of who God says we are, that we're not tied to our past anymore, to our mistakes anymore, that we allow him to breathe on us life again, that we allow him to breathe life into us. So no matter what you faced up to this point right here, right now, there's freedom. If you'll accept his love and say, God, I love you, and I thank you for your amazing love for me. Let's stand.